Okay, so we're back uh, today to recap 2020-2021 season. Uh, there's a few things we want to highlight. We'll <laughs> you're brushing up your Chelsea badge, I see. Um, so we're going to talk, uh, actually, first. First off, congratulations to, you know, members of the, you know, CMNT. We have Alfonso Davies. We have Jonathan David. We have Kyle Laren. Uh, we have Atiba as well. Like they all, they were all champions this season. So that was that was pretty impressive. Uh, I think for me, the most impressive one was Jonathan um, David at Lille, especially given how he started the season. Very very tough. Uh, and then the second half of the season was very strong, uh, contributing key goals. I think the one for, the one against PSG, that goal, for me, in my opinion, won Lille the title. Uh, and it was only a matter of time, but you know, really happy for the boys. Uh, they brought a lot of silverware. So, what are your thoughts? You know, I've been, I've been thinking about how they have really performed this season, and uh, it's actually unheard of, you know, for for players from this part of the world, you know, to emerge champions in their various clubs in Europe and to be able to perform well. I mean, seeing how, uh, you know, the country where they rank in FIFA ranking and all this stuff, but I'm really, really impressed and um, really, really surprised as well that these guys came out champions, you know, um, one in Besiktas and then uh, Leo with almighty people. PSG just around the corner and uh, they held up very, very strong, you know. I mean, that's the most surprising one for, for everyone across Europe, you know, that when you have a squad, you know, of PSG, uh, you know, standard and uh, the type of players they have, you know, you, you think that no one is ever going to get the league of them. It, it, I mean, it's not like FC Bayern Munich that, oof, no matter what you play, you just end up second, you know, I, I, by the reason of the type of players in FC Bayern. So that's of Alfonso Davies is just like a recurring thing, you know, but for Leo and as well as the Schicksters, because it's been a while since they last won the Turkish uh, uh, Superliga, yeah. you know. And so, on the last day of the season, too. I think they won, they won the game on the last day of the season. So. That's very, very impressive. I think that we are fighting it with Fenerbahce, right? Yes. Was it Fenerbahce or I have to check that? Yes. I think it was Fenerbahce. Yes, I think it was Fenerbahce, the last uh, game of the season. So that's that's very impressive. Congratulations to all three of them. And uh, I hope to see these things, you know, personally transcend into the national team, you know, especially with the World Cup uh, Qatar 2022 qualifiers coming, you know, um, if they can, if they can bring that over, you know, to to the national team at least to make the next phase of the of the qualifying rounds of the of the World Cup, you know, uh, that will be that will be a very very big step forward because if they make it to that next round where they have like how many teams, you know, in the round robin, you know, then might say okay, they start in chance to make it to, to the World Cup itself. So congratulations to them. They, they really, really surprised me. I mean, especially with the Shikstas and Lille guys. 
Yeah, so it's actually four because Atiba Hutchinson was. Oh also, yeah, he's also kind of Lions teammate. But yeah, it's it's pretty good, pretty pretty good season for all all of them. And again, like you said, it's this kind of mentality breeds more of you know those type of players that are hungry for that kind of success. You might not always get yeah. it every year, but you know, at least you, once in a while, it should yeah. it should happen. Once in a while, it should happen, and it's good that it's happening now. You know. For me, I also like it's an inspiration for for the young players that are around here to to dream. I mean, when your when your national team players do well, you know, in their various clubs, it it brushes off on the desire and the you know the 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 desire to to play football, you know, and to push and to see that you know you can still go all the way. Yeah, I definitely agree. So yeah, so congrats to the boys again. Um, and then we'll shift gears to. <laughs> it pains me to actually do this. <laughs> it really pains me to do this. Um, the big game, the big game that uh, wrapped up the season, for in Europe at least, um, Champions League final. I, I mean, I enjoyed the final um, as a neutral, but. My affiliations will not let me enjoy Chelsea's actual success. So that one's more you. You're a Chelsea fan. I'm not a Chelsea fan. Um, uh, salud. Salud. <laughs> salud. But, but we can break down the game. We can get more specific about that. Um, I'll start with my thoughts. I, I thought yeah. um, for the first 10 minutes, it was... I thought I don't want to say City on in on the front foot, but not super dominant. Like after um, Raheem Sterling's chance, mm-hmm. and then once that chance went, the game just you know they never got back into the game in my opinion. They just lost foothold of the game. Yeah. Um, a couple of things you're a coach, so you you'll talk more about the tactical side. But I, again, I think in hindsight, everyone is easily you know everyone is like. You know, they should have played Aguero, they should have played this, like, shouldn't have done the false nine. True to a certain degree for me, but I think mostly it was the midfield choices that he made. Oh, uh, yeah. That mm-hmm. actually destroyed that game for City. Like, it, it was very strange. Very, very strange lineup. Uh, Cancelo as well, not playing. It just things that, like, you know, he. I feel like he lives too much in his head. He's too smart for his own good. Like, that kind of thing, you don't... If you have something that's working, mm-hmm. you won't change it too much. Like, I understand yeah. the fact that, you know, Chelsea has beaten City twice. But this is one of those games where just play your game. You know, it's a final. Um, the boys are already fired up. Just play your game. Uh, but from your side, you know, you're a Chelsea fan. How did you see How did you see the game? Trust me, that game, uh, it's, uh, for me, for the whole season, it was the most nervy game that I watched. You know, I was nervous for the whole of 90 minutes. And um, I was watching as a fan. So, but after that, you know, the next day and after I had, I think I've watched the game twice since then to be able to analyze. Uh, that was where I was able to make my notes and uh, see what maybe happened in that game, you know. So, but yeah, as a fan, I think uh, I would say we deserve to win regardless of how the season has turned out for us and how we, you know, struggled into top four, you know, and, uh, but yeah, we, 
for 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 a fan, it was it was a very interesting game. For me, it was one of the I don't know maybe it's because I'm a Chelsea fan, but also I think it's one of the best uh, Champions League finals that I've seen uh, because of the back and forth, the intensity of the game. Uh, it was not really one sided, you know. Um, so I remember the last uh, Champions League final. It wasn't that maybe because the fans were not there, maybe, but I think that this one was a well-deserved final. You know, the teams were not afraid to attack when they had chances, when, when it, you know, the dominance of City with the ball, um, you know, keeping a lot of possessions and Chelsea were like really, really dogged in defending, especially after they had gone one goal up. And in doing, uh, you know, in between um, times in the game, and um, as you mentioned, uh, City playing uh, all attacking midfielders, all attacking midfielders. They came all out to attack. But, they, ne- think- but they never attacked. That's, I, I think that's what's bizarre. Like they, they, they played that formation. And in my head, I'm like, okay, maybe you guys want to be too wide open. Maybe you're going to go gung-ho. They didn't really do that either. So it's, it's kind of weird. Yes, it's very weird. Uh, the thing is this. When you're a player, there are certain players that you see on the field. No matter how attacking they are, the opposite players were like, okay, I think I can deal with this guy. I think I can deal with this guy. You know, because there are no threats in the midfield when it comes to stopping the Chelsea attack, when it comes to running in tackles, when it comes to committing fouls, when it's, you know, those tactical fouls that players do, you know, it's Jorginho, it's, sorry, it's Fernandinho that can do that, it's Rodri that can bring that to Man City, you know, step on a player's feet, you know, go hard on them and all those stuff. You don't expect that from Foden, you don't expect that from, uh, from De Bruyne, you don't expect that from Gundogan, you know, so, and I think, like I said, I was trying to analyze, in the lineup, Man City, they played more creative players in order to unlock the tight and tough Chelsea defence. I think that's the mentality so, behind them. So on, pa- so on paper, it made sense to you. It it didn't, didn't, exactly. It, it didn't make sense. sense to me, though. Like, even uh, Raheem Sterling starting the game, that was, you know... that. Uh, it it didn't make sense. Why? Because there was no balance in the team. It, it did not provide the, the much-needed balance whether it was Chelsea or any other team. And, and you sometimes see Guardiola, he has done this at times in the Premier League, that there is no defensive player on the field for Man City. All of them are attacking. And, you know, that does not provide balance. And when you have a team coached by Tuchel and the desire from the team you know, that Man City were playing against. And you don't have, the, you know, the balance there. It wouldn't, you wouldn't get the results, no matter how you push. Because, yeah, remember, City will push and push and push. But in between time, Chelsea will, will launch a counter-attack. And those counter-attacks are always devastating. So... You know, so I agree, and we're going to go. We're going to get to Kai Havertz to go very shortly. But like, I'm I'm just looking at last season's Champions League final. You're you're talking about balance, and 
I look at a team like Bayern and what they did to win the Champions League last season. They deserve to win the, the, the cup, the competition, but they were mostly taking, it was almost like high risk, high reward. And that team, the shape was very unbalanced. Intentionally, yeah. of course, it was very intentional what they were doing. Mm-hmm. But it's one of those ones where it's, you know, it's, we're winning this thing or we're not winning this thing. So your point about balance, I agree. But at the same time, I kind of like, I'm disagreeing from, from the Man City perspective because even if you are going to be unbalanced, at least attack, they, there was no waves of attack from City. They, they, they couldn't, you know, move the ball forward. They couldn't have shots on target. Like they had a few spells towards the end, but... I didn't really see yes, it. And honestly, I think it also goes back again to balance. Now, remember when Fernandinho came in, there was a difference in shift in the midfield. That was when they actually started dominating a little bit more in midfield. When Fernandinho came in, before he came in, they were not anywhere. No matter, they could pass the ball in their own 18-yard, uh, first, uh, third, you know, in their own. But once they get in close to Chelsea's, you know, in the middle of the park there, getting closer to the the final third, you know, their own final third, which is Chelsea's first third. There's this press and there's everything. Chelsea would like, like step up, everything. But when Fernandinho came in, there was a little bit of stability. Now, why I will always go back to, to the balance is this. When you attack, you have a backup, you have someone who can also help in stopping a counter-attack. Because you cannot attack and defend at the same time. It's either you doing one. So the time you have to defend, who will help in doing the defending? And that was where Man City were, they were, they were caught off guard. Because there was no one to help stop them. But, there was no one to... But isn't that why, isn't that why Kyle Walker started? That was the whole idea of starting Kyle Walker instead of Cancelo because... He's but watch where Chelsea are coming from their attack. You know, the first, the first counter, remember... And can't, for example, Kante operated on the right side of midfield. So, you... Kyle Walker will only play... He was playing as a right back. Although he was talking at some point, or he will overlap, he will overlap. And another thing was that let's not forget the the the, the defensive masterclass of Chelsea. And one of there was one player from Chelsea that really surprised me, Ben Chilwell. He matched Kyle Walker. He matched Kyle Walker that I had never seen someone match Kyle Walker in a 90-minute game. I mean, he matched him. Rich James also had Sterling in his pocket, which was surprising. Exactly. But, <laughs> but if, 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 you compare, if you compare the sizes, if you compare the sizes, Kyle Walker and uh, Ben Chilwell, there's no way they, they, for speed, for stature, for strength, there was no way. But as well, he, he, was, he stepped up his game. And I think that was where he cemented his like sport as a Chelsea left back full time. There's no room for Alonso. There's no room for any other person. I imagine even in the near future, three, four, five years from now, except he falls down. But I will say again, they did not have anyone to do that in the center of the park. The way Kante was operating, there was no one to put a stop to that. You know, there was no one, and that is where. Before the game started, I don't know if you listened to Alan Shearer when he was talking, it's like, 
like Gundogan, how would he, he will be put to test in defending the back four. But why, do, but, but why do people, I think that surprised me about his role as well, is I wasn't even too upset with him playing, to be honest. Because if people, people forget very quickly, when he was in Borussia under Klopp, and his first season at Man City, he played, mm-hmm. he's played that position, but it's not new. It's not mm-hmm. like that was a new role for him, but just because yeah. he's scoring goals this season. Mm-hmm. He cannot. He operates as a box to box midfielder. He can sit deep if he if he needs to. He did yeah. that most of his first season. So it was just one of those things. I understand your point about Fernandinho as well. It's just I think the shape, the, the idea, personality as well. The, the you idea, have to look at the personality of yeah, the players. Yeah, the you idea have to look at the very, personality. And to your point about those tactical fouls, very very missed. If Fernandinho was playing, that you know he's a no nonsense type of guy. So that exactly, kind of not flying in the, the first time he came, he just like he stepped on a he stepped on a on Jorginho. He stepped on him, and uh, Alan Shearer was like, "That is basically what was lacking." Because when you do that, I, there's a psychological approach to this game when you're physical in the game. There's a fear you instill in the attacking player or in that fragile player like Jorginho that like, he's not physically strong, you know, he's so smart. I think for me, he's the smartest midfielder that Chelsea has. But there's this physical attribute of Jorginho, uh, sorry, Fernandinho coming and stepping on his foot, you know, like, hey, I'm here. Okay, enough of that, you know. There's something that comes up in the player's mind when that happens. Now, Gundogan playing like coming coming against Kante, the, the, the person, it doesn't match. There's no match there, and that is where the ball, the, the that's where the the balance was not in the in the midfield. Foden will not always provide that, you know, cover to to Gundogan, you know, and. Uh, was the other one playing on the right side or uh, on the right side? I think it was uh, um, it was uh, De Bruyne, right? So with, with with that mismatch, I mean, from the six players moving forward was was not it wasn't a, it wasn't yeah, enough. It, a, it wasn't, I think I think uh, he's stuck with Foden on the left where Sterling played. Uh, so if he was going false nine, De Bruyne right there. Uh, mm-hmm. and then Mares on the right, and then the middle, you know, Fernandinho, and then whoever he wants. But you know, that was that was the game. But yeah, congrats to Chelsea. Uh, <laughs> there was a statement. There was a there was a, an interview that I watched before the, that final. It was uh, Rio Ferdinand, and uh, you know, he interviewed Pep Guardiola, and a friend of mine sent me that interview, and he said, "I'm scared." About Chelsea in the oh, because he actually he actually re- the funny thing is he's a, he read the, he predicted the game. Yeah, he said he didn't have an answer. I saw the interview as well. He he did predict what you guys are going to do, but so, the fact it's surprising to me that he couldn't see. If you are so accurate in the prediction of what they're going to do, how aren't you yeah. able to stop what they're going to do? How are the fans, who, you know, who are supposedly not as smart as him? There, there was something it's, he said. It's, it's bizarre. I, I, if you can remember, I said he likes having the ball. He likes possessing the ball. But to give, but what sometimes, maybe he forgot that sometimes he might lose possession. You're never going to have possession for 90 minutes. You know, and, and when a team that is 
a team that always have possession without maybe creating some sort of balance of what will happen. The more possession you have, the more chances of being caught off guard in a counterattack that will result in something very dangerous, a goal, a penalty, a red card, you know, and stuff like that. And that is what I also was looking at when I was watching the game for the second time or the third time that I did. It's like, yes, a lot of possession. Man City had it. But when they are caught out of possession, they did not have an answer to solve that. And that is where they lacked that balance. And Chelsea's defensive setup, they were, they were rigid. They were very, very dogged, disciplined, no room for any mistake because they had and they know that man city they know what man city was bringing and when you know what man city is bringing you must write you must be on your game from first minute to the 97th minute of the game and that was what chelsea did and there was no lapse of concentration even when man city had a chance maybe a cross into the box the clearance were all spot on because the players were all connected and they made the contact when they make contact to clear the ball, they did it with the right part of the body because when you are not connected in the game full-time, even if you're about to do a clearance, that's when sometimes clearances become an on goal because, it's not, because you're not fully connected in the game. And I think that is what Tuchel has brought to Chelsea, that he's brought a very, very concentrated team that they are, they, are, they are switched on from the first minute to the 90th minute. They are switched on. If I, if I remember against Lampard, we, we will concede early goals. When we concede early goals, it's difficult to come back. Sometimes we would come back, maybe tie 3-3 and so on. I remember West Brom's game that we would tie 3-3. You know, it, it, it was just la, la, lack of concentration. But that's what, I, that's what Tuchel brought in, that right from the first... And that is also how Man City kill off teams. Because the moment they get into the game, boom, before you know it, Man City have scored. Because the teams are like, okay, let's draw into the game. And uh, no, Man City come in, boom. They see that you lack concentration in the first five minutes, they'll score you. And that was what they came to Chelsea. And after that, mm -mm, you have to stay on your game. And that is what Chelsea did to be able to, you know, to survive them. And as well, we had the better, clearer chances of scoring goals, which if we had, there would have been like a different story of 4-0. But, you know... It was what it was, and uh... yeah, I mean, all, all in all, all in all, um, uh, uh, in all seriousness, though, like looking at the seasons across just the world, I guess you can mostly Europe because Europe has the biggest leagues. Um, I, I really enjoyed the variety of winners, like we were talking about Lille in the beginning, mm -hmm. um, Inter Milan as well, Atleti, Atletico Madrid. Um, even Chelsea winning the Champions League, Villarreal winning the Europa League. These are all yes, things that went that's, against yeah, that's, every <laughs> prediction. Like all the predictions were just like everything, just throw everything out the window. Because yeah, the Villarreal game was very funny because actually, obviously I was working, but I, I couldn't tune into the game. But even then I wasn't checking the updates as often because I thought... You know, United should win. Like, this is a game. Like, this is an easy game. So, did he, did he hear what Paul Scholes said? <laughs> he must have repented and regretted what he said of Villarreal. Oh, 
finished in seventh position and they're very weak. That's a that very Liga. dangerous thing. I mean that that was that was really really I mean, I mean even if La Liga is weak, I think people have this uh, I'm not a fan of when people call leagues farmers leagues. Uh, just because, yeah, I guess it's one team dominates all these leagues. Fair enough. But because the other teams are so good and so financially mm-hmm. dominant, it gives you this weird sense of the other teams are not good enough. But it's actually not true. It, it, the, other teams not true. Actually, the other teams are actually serious. serious. I can remember in 2013 when Athletic Bilbao played Man United off the park. In Europa League, I think it was a Europa, mm-hmm. Europa League, and that was Alex Ferguson coaching that team and this was i think it was marcelo bielsa at the time yeah and that wasn't a bilbao team that was i don't believe they were top four at the time i think they were like sixth or something and they the way they they dominated united was absolutely ridiculous there's one problem i i believe that english teams still have they always forget that when they play europa or champions league they are one-off games they're just one-off games there's no there's no tomorrow you know, it's not like uh, you come to Old Trafford and then uh, you beat Roma, you know, whatever, and then you go to Roma and then you also try to win or you won, you know. But this is a final. You have to respect the team. You have to know that it's a one-off game. They will be giving their best in that, even if they have been playing rubbish throughout La Liga season, and that maybe La Liga is not strong, according to him. Who said La Liga is not strong? If La Liga isn't strong, how have they been dominating Europe, you know, for the past uh, couple of years, you know? And then you, you said that, oh, they finished seventh and they're coming from a weak league. And maybe they do not have very recognized players, but also they have experienced players. Raul Albiol, uh, the, the Colombian striker, Barker, and... Uh, um, some other players even the guy that scored the goal and that guy that scored the goal he was the second top scorer in the league this season it's not as if he was there they're not getting goals I think he had 21 goals and behind Messi had, uh, yeah so you you do you don't make those type of statements but I think he really undermined yeah. I mean there but- we are to be fair, though, like it wasn't the most glamorous game. I enjoyed the penalty shootouts because, yeah, I too. That's, that, that's right. That's right. You enjoy yeah, those things when yeah, you're in trouble. But then <laughs> I think it's it's one of those games where even though yes, you know, it's Villarreal, they didn't do anything special. And technically, if United were more sensible with their subs, they should really have mm-hmm. won that game because yeah, it became tactical when when Emery saw that okay, these guys are getting tired. I'm gonna use I'm gonna use all my subs. He used five, five substitutes, and United, you know, they were just like, oh, we're not gonna make a sub. We're gonna do the same thing that's not working, basically. Maybe managerial experience as well. Remember, I was telling you, United Mary Factor. It's not only because in the in the semifinals that he played against Arsenal that he was an ex-Arsenal Arsenal boss, you know, but also the experience that he has in Europe. You know, he's the most he he's the better experience than Ateta, better experience than uh, Ole. You know, the the United manager. So these are the things that he like. It's also one of game. There's no coming back. You know, I'll give everything if it works. I do tell people, and I tell my friends, and I say, every coach's decision is a risk. 
if it works, everyone applauds him, right? Or oh, he's a genius. Yeah, if it doesn't true. work, they say the coach is a failure. Fine you know? margins. So that that this that, exactly. So the same applied to Guardiola. He took the risk. It didn't work. Everyone is blaming. Did Guardiola beat Chelsea in the finals? They would say, oh, without even without even a Fernandinho, Rodri, you know, these are the things that you know that makes the the coaching job very very yeah risky and uh, fun as well. So. It works for you. You're genius. It doesn't work for you. You are the worst coach. And, you did this. You did and, that. Yeah, at, at, the, at, the, at the elite level, though, that's why they pay them the big bucks to make those decisions because it's the fine margin. It's a risk. It's yeah, exactly. It's those, those ability to take um, to take those risks that kind of define you. And, you know, to be fair, <laughs> Pep has won the Champions League twice before. So, yeah, for him, I understand, like, is it... It's a little bit of a stain on his legacy at City, no denying that, because he started to overthink things. But at the end of the day, he's won it twice before with Barca. The only yep. stick that people used to beat him with now is, oh, he didn't win it again with another team. They will always say mm-hmm. that. But for, I think for, for, for Tuchel, is different because this is actually the making of, this is what actually brings him, gives legitimacy to his you know, he's now an elite, he's joined the elite club, you know, of course, yeah. eliteness, you know, as managers get older, they, you know, things happen, like, you're a human being, you, <laughs> you, know, you can't be at that level forever, but, yeah, I think that's win, because if you look at his records before, he's a very, I think he's, a, he's been a very good manager since uh, Mainz, I believe, Mainz, yeah, and then I really enjoyed his Borussia side, because they were attacking, like, I think people they were they were devastating. It's similar to Klopp, but they were not. It was not just pressing; they were just rapid in transition. Like the way, yeah, absolutely devastating is the word. Like they they used to score a lot of goals, but they always yeah, had that that. Mental, <laughs> that mental thing of when you get to a certain stage, they always get they they used to get over overawed by the emotion. Like same thing that happened against Leicester for you guys this season, FA Cup mm-hmm. final. There's just something about those stages for him. Last season, the same thing. Overthinking. Overthinking. Last season, the same thing against Bayern. You know, technically, if he was, the players were about themselves, that game, they could have won that game. Yeah. PSG. But then, you know, this this is that time where it's like, okay, I'm not making this mistake. And that's why, you know, that's the thing about coaching. I might like, if you learn from your previous experiences, I really like when people evolve. I don't want to use the word change because you still Mm -hmm. need your ideas. Yeah, exactly. Evolve. And I like, you know, I see when he was at Dortmund, he was a little bit difficult to work with too. But you can mm-hmm. see the way he's evolved. His man management is much better. Like, you know, things yeah. like that. You, you evolve as a person. And, you know, your ideas are not static. Yes, you have a base. I really appreciate when managers do that. Like, even when you look at Klopp, uh, they won the Bundesliga back-to-back with Dortmund. People forget that the guy... Yeah. And then he came to Liverpool, and then they lost the Europa League. I think they lost three finals in a row. Yes. Uh, they lost the Champions League final again. And then I think it was the second Champions League final. I was like, okay, you know, I have to win this because, you know, and then it makes you again. It brings you up to a new level. So I like to see things like that. Uh, you see a lot of managers. Come, and I think it's, it, it would have been the same thing for someone like Ole, Ole Gunnar, Associates as well, if he had won the Europa League. But then, to your point, yeah, fine exactly, exactly. These kind of things that define your career. It's these kind of games. Exactly. 
you win this game and it's a different conversation. You're in a different bracket automatically. You are just, uh, you've stepped, you've had a, you just like a step above from where you are. And I think losing this Europa League final has kept him on the same plane. Yeah. You know, he, he has not moved further from that. And uh, it's going to be difficult for him, you know, even come next season, he, he has to, there's a lot of teams right now are, are trying to improve, you know, there are a lot of new managers that are available, uh, clubs that are looking for these world-class managers as well. So United might still see themselves struggling a little bit more again, you know, because when it mattered most, he should have, I think they should have just finished the game, you know, in 90 minutes. I mean, with the caliber of players they had, they, they should have finished it. But as you say, they're just like small, little things, fine margins, little details, you know, that's one extra substitution that you can make that will make a difference. You know, those are the things that make a lot of difference. You know, they might like, why is he coming in? But you already know what the player is going to do for you because you've played the game in your head and the player goes in there and do it for you and, and does this, the, the, the thing for you. And it's like, everyone like, wow, he just made a change. And then that's it, you know? So sometimes uh, it's, it's just that uh, coaches have to like, take that little risk. Yeah, know? yeah. And just, you know, you take your philosophy. You don't have to copy someone else. Just Don't copy yourself, you know. Right. Don't copy any other person. Exactly. It, it, it's, not, it's not bad to learn from coach. It's not bad to borrow stuff. But when you borrow all those things, bring it into who you are, what you're Exa looking for. Exactly. That, that's why I use... with that. Yeah. You know? And that's why, yeah, I like managers that have, you know, they have their own philosophy, great. They can take from other people, great. But you're always evolving. Like, you don't have to be just so static. But, you know, it, it, I think it was a pretty interesting season, especially the second half of the season across Europe. So yeah. let's turn our attentions quickly to, well, two things. But the second one, because Copa America recently just happened. So let's talk about the Euros. Supposed to happen last year, happening this year. I actually took uh, a deep dive into a lot of the squads. Uh, yeah. I'll, tell you my, I'll tell you my favorites first. Of course, nothing surprising. France. Uh, I really like the, the team. I haven't seen them this United for a long time, especially you know going into actually since your Euro twenty sixteen, they've had almost the same core, um, yeah, which is pretty good. And they've added they've, all, they've obviously been adding on top of that, um, and they should really have won that one, but you know, they ended up winning the World Cup instead. That's mm -hmm. a bigger trophy. So uh, they have a good group now. After like years of disgrace, you see two thousand and ten was an absolute disgrace. Two thousand six, wow. two thousand six as well. Like things. In between, and I think they had a Euro. I think it was 2008. I think that was really bad for them as well. So they've they, they've yeah. kind of come out of that bad spell. Uh, so obviously they're the favorites. Um, I like Portugal as well, mostly because of two players, uh, João Felix and Andre Silva. For me, mm -hmm. uh, only one of those two had a really good season, which was actually from a trophy perspective. João Felix won. He's a champion. Uh, didn't really have the best of seasons, um, 
but yeah, still talented player. Yeah. yeah, but Andrew Silva was absolutely fantastic. I'm happy to see him happy again, like you know, after his AC Milan spell. I didn't know if he'll ever be uh, the player that you know I thought he was going to be. So looking forward to seeing him again. Uh, the one then, that went back to Frankfurt. Yes, he's in Frank. He he actually broke their scoring record this season. Yeah. Most goals scored in a season by by, yeah. And then well, Italy is my third. Italy as well. Uh, again, they've been kind of like they didn't qualify for for the World Cup last time. Uh, which crazy. is embarrassing and for, for, for a country of that caliber. But now they're back with a lot of players I like. Barella, Verratti, Belotti, Immobile, Insigne. Mm-hmm. They have a fantastic team. Um, I expect them to do well. Obviously not win the tournament, but I think they'll be entertaining. So those are my, like, those are the three that I'm really looking forward to watching uh, in the Euros. Yeah, for me, France is... Uh... I don't, I'm not giving, if they disappoint me, then, then they disappoint me. But the blues from France, a little blue, I don't, I don't see myself trying to like pitch tents here and there, right. you know, because, because I, the quality that the French team possess, you know, I don't, Benzema is like, he never gets tired. He's not, I mean, Look at how long he's been playing at the top. Yeah. From Olympic Leon to Real Madrid. Since then, in season in season out, he has been performing. Even when he had issues with the national team, he never like retired like some people like like oh uh, you know like quit the international stage. But I think he yeah. kept faith. And when he was recalled, I was like, I'm sure that these people must have been doing some underground, you know job of reconciling making sure that things are sorted out because the national interest of the team you know it's it's what's important for them so now that he's back you know with Griezmann and then with Oliver Giroud and then with Mbappe Mbappe, that that, that front line is very terrifying then you go to their midfield they have more than abundant I don't even think there's any midfield as good as the French midfield there is none whether they had a good uh, club season or not, once they're in that blue color representing France, I think they're different. They're just different. Yeah, I mean, even Kante, if they're different, Kante and Pogba is it's a crazy issue. Yeah. Just imagine that. Then you have uh, Rabiot, and then uh, uh, who who else is in, in that midfield? I think they have like, Thomas Lemar, but I don't. He's okay. Yeah, he's just like also a backup because even from the bench, you must have to you have a good backup from the bench. And then in, in their defense, you know, they have they still have Benjamin Pavard, they still have uh, Varane, they still have uh, uh, this uh, the other left back that plays for also Bayern Munich. Uh, I can't remember his name. Um, so they they really have Kimpembe from PSG, you know. I think they have a very, very cohesive, strong squad, you know, uh, and I think they're also the most balanced team in the in, in, in Europe this year, you know, for the Euros. England, their their own thing is just attack and uh, some bit of midfield, and that's it. For their defense, I'm I'm really scared. No matter how they have four right backs, they can only play one at a time, or they can only play back three. Now, you know, it's, then, now it's three right backs. Trent is out of the tournament. So. Yeah, so I, I'm seeing them playing a 3-5-2, you know, type of uh, system, you know. 
They, they do not have very good goalkeepers, except their goalkeeper surprises us with anything. But we know how England goalkeepers are in, in national assignments, you know, from Calamity James to Calamity Green to, uh, you know, who else? And uh, Pickford, you, you can trust him all the time. And uh, Nick Pope, that was to be there. Now he's injured, he's out. So they have Justin from West Bromwich Albion, and then they have Henderson from Man United. And these are not, uh, you can't say these are world-class goalkeepers. So I don't really, you know, trust the English uh, goalkeeping department, you know, when it comes to the national team. And then um, Portugal, you know, um, they, they have the... Defending the, champions as well. Yeah, the, yeah, exactly. They have the pressure of the defending champions. So we will see how they... They come out and they because and I, I think their group, group, yeah, their group is actually really, uh, the group really of death. So France, uh, who else? Uh, Portugal and Germany, right? Germany, yes. And I then Hungary. The yeah, that's not that's that's a very <laughs> very interesting group. But the good thing is and, that three teams qualify. Oh yeah, because it's a twenty-four team. Uh, yeah. Uh, that's tournament. exactly how they won it last time. They came third in their group. And then they well, the so. I would be seeing to that what happens. <laughs> Germany, I don't really know much what Germany has, but I think they have very, very good prospects. They always you know, do. Rebuilding, rebuilding, and, um, you know, with the uh, Champions League winning trio from Chelsea and uh, those from Bayern Munich, you know, and uh, from Dortmund as well, and Man City, Gundogan, you know, so... Another team that is really, I, I want them to surprise and I want them to go far and maybe reach a, let's say reach the final with Belgium. They, they, have, they have very, very good players, but the team itself, I don't really know. Because one, in the last World Cup, you know, I don't think they played a lot of strong teams prior to reaching the, you know, the semifinals, right? You know, just the same like England. They did beat you know. Brazil. Yeah, Brazil. Brazil is not the same Brazil that we used to know. So, but Belgium needs to, this golden generation needs to do something. Or there will be like the Portuguese golden generation. Remember the Luis Figo, you know, Gomes, uh, and all those very, very top players, you Rui know, Costa. Rui Costa, yeah. you know, they had, you know, that's Euro 2000 and Euro 2004, you know, Portugal had their golden generation, but they did not win it. So um, Belgium is it's somewhat, you know, in that phase again. And uh, before the next one, these guys might have, uh, you know, they've reached their peak and they're going down. You know, Hazard is 30, De Bruyne is 20, is it 29? Or well, I can't remember, you know. So Courtois is getting older, you know. I know goalkeepers are different, but Lukaku is 27, I guess. Yeah. 28. Yeah, so, 27, yeah. So before they, if they don't do anything this time and in the next World Cup, forget about it they have to forget about it you know so i'm looking to see belgium but the most exciting team for me the blue 
Yeah, I think yeah, France will have a lot of pressure going into the tournament, but uh, I think they did the same in the World Cup. They had a lot of pressure, but that was they were fantastic throughout. So um, we'll see. I, I don't imagine there'll be too many. I, I think the tricky game for them in the group might actually be Portugal, uh, just because of the profile of players. It's more of a profile thing than a. <laughs> it's not that the teams are equal, but the profile of players Portugal has. They're very devastating on it. They're a very counter-attacking team. Yeah, Portugal is a very trick. Could be a tricky team. Yep. You know they have very silky players that you think that they cannot perform. Yeah. They can just catch you. They will just catch you off guard. You know. Yeah. I mean, Ronaldo is the center point, but there are all the people that do the work. You yep. know. In the engine room, there. Um, Bernardo is very, very good. Bernardo is very exactly. good. Exactly. He was. I was just about to mention. They have very good. They have very good creative players. They have creative players that can create and make things happen. You know. So we we will see how how it goes with them. You know. And the players that will not be there. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's an interesting one. I'm, I'm looking forward to it, actually. We'll see how it's been a while since I felt, um, I think the last Euros, I enjoyed 16, but I think 12 was really, really good. Um, of course, Spain won it again. Um, yeah. They just kind of matched. Like they, I think they started really slow and then they destroyed Italy in the final. So we'll see. We'll see. Uh, Spain, Spain right now, fortunately. They're not really good. I don't think they're, they're not. They're not uh, although, yeah. although, even that said, they're one of these sides where I feel like they can put in a shift. Like I look at some of the players they have. It's nothing like before. They're not going to do no. the Spain passing around, pass that move. But it's very, I don't know the word to use. Like these are just like, you know, they're very straight to the point. Uh, someone mm-hmm. like Danny Omo, for example. That kind of guy is a good tournament player to have. Uh, you know, I, I don't see him going very far, but it wouldn't surprise me if they actually go heads down and go 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 really far. Maybe yeah. finals in this one. So we'll see. There's a lot of yeah, good teams. There are a lot of good teams, but yeah, if you look at Spain's, uh, you know, what they are known for in their national team, you know, 2010. 20, 2008, right? That was the one that won. Yep. And then they won the World Cup two years after. And I think and they, they won, won the 2020. Yeah. So, that's a lot of pressure for this generation right now, you know. So, well, we'll see, you know. We'll, we'll see how it goes. And then looking forward to it. Finally, we'll, we'll talk quickly about the Copa America. Um, I don't know why these tournaments are happening at the same time. It's just so weird, but it is what it is. So Brazil won the last one actually quite easily. Uh, it wasn't mm-hmm. vintage Brazil by any means, but they were really good throughout the tournament. Um, they were very focused, very tidy. Uh, you know, they have very, very good players across the pitch. So I don't think Neymar, Neymar wasn't in the last cup. I think it was injured. I think he was injured. I can't remember. Yeah. I, I can't remember. I didn't actually follow the last one you know, um, religiously like I yeah. normally do, you know, the previous ones that I have watched. There are just too many uh, good players before. Like Chile had that golden generation, which is gone. Uh, those oh players my. are no longer anymore. In uh, that walloped Argentina, what is it? <laughs> yeah, twice. <laughs> <laughs> back to back. 
<laughs> and then yeah. the, the one I had pity on Messi, that was where I had pity on Messi. Yeah. Those two were those two were like <laughs> some of the best tournaments I've seen because of just how good Chile was. Like Chile was just a good side. Like yeah, but they've lost half of they've lost that whole team. That they're, they're still in the team, but those players are all past their best. Like of course, now they're the Pazia prime. Alexis yeah, Sanchez, really... you know, all of them. They're all yeah. So it, there's not. I don't want to say I'm not excited about, about Copa America. It's just that there's not that many, you know, Brazil is Brazil. They're very strong. They're the obvious on paper. Favorites to mm-hmm. win it again, in my opinion. I don't see any team really. Uh, but again, you know, these kind of tournaments, are it, surprises are not uncommon. But I don't really see any team really contesting. It's not like they will blow teams away. Like these um, South American teams are very tough. Oh, they are very strong. So it's not Colombia, like... Colombia will be will put up a good yeah. performance, I think, because Zapata uh, from Atalanta. Muriel is also there. Muriel is Colombian. Falcao is still playing. Um, James Rodriguez. James know, Rodriguez and... actually is not in the squad. Funny enough, they didn't choose. Oh. Him. <laughs> <laughs> they actually didn't take him for the time. Oh my! Maybe Which Everton, is crazy. Everton spoiled his leg. Yeah. And Argentina is Argentina. <laughs> no is offense, no offense to Everton fans. Sorry, no offense to Everton fans and Everton club. <laughs> but maybe, yeah, yeah. But anyway, yeah, Argentina is not at the level. They have only players I recognize in Argentina squad are in front. They're just forwards. Messi, Dybala, um, what's his name? Icardi. Maria. De Maria, there's no, I don't see any midfield. I don't bueno. see <laughs> it's just sports. They're just, yeah, you know, it, the thing is that I think sometimes Argentine players are scattered all over in maybe not so. You don't normally find Argentine midfielders in the top leagues and top clubs in Europe. They're always at home. They always stay. They're always at home. Boca yeah. Juniors, River Plate, you know, or maybe even playing in Mexico, you know. And they and they make the the national team, you know. But when they wear that jersey, I'll be celestial. Yeah. They, they want to die on the field. They want to break their legs. Maybe for individual glory. Because that that's what has happened to the team that they have not really, you know, won anything as a national team. You know. So we will see. I think this is their last chance of uh, Messi and Co. You know, it's funny. We keep we we've been saying that since. I think this is this is their last chance. I mean, <laughs> they've had like I, four I, chances. <laughs> they've had like four chances in a row. But they had time then. They had time, but now they do not have time. Messi is thirty-one, thirty-four. So now they do not have time. Is it thirty-four or thirty-two? I can't remember. Aguero is thirty-two already, or thirty-three actually. Yeah, I think you Messi know? is thirty-four actually. Um, so. They're playing Chile in their first game. So if, if that game goes wrong, then their tournament is over, I think. But... Wow. Oh, we'll man. Say that, we'll their say, their we'll group say is Brazil. actually terrible. Their group is really strong. They have Uruguay in their group. Oops. And they have Chile in their group. Oh, this might get really ugly. Yikes. Mm. Yeah. Well, good luck to them. I think uh, it has been moved to Brazil. So Brazil will have a hosting advantage as always, and um, I think Brazil will win the Copa America. 
Ah, I think so. Okay, so that's our predictions again. But yeah, so I mean, <laughs> I don't see any of that. Just look at the Brazilian team. Just look. Just look at the. Let's start from the goalkeepers. Yeah, it's too much. World class goalkeepers in Brazilian in in the Brazilian team. Yeah. Look at the defense. Now look at the midfield. And look at the attack. Yeah, they, they, they have no, there's no reason why they shouldn't win this tournament, to be honest. I think they will Exactly. Except if there's any team that goes to bring the Germany of 2014. <laughs> oh, but yeah, if you look at all the, the players and all the, I mean, two for every position. Marquinhos is, is Brazilian. And then, uh, you know, uh, I don't know if Thiago Silva has retired from the team. I'm not sure. For I don't think no, no, he's not retired. He's playing, so he's not retired. He's not retired yet. So Fernandinho is not retired. So that tells you what they are coming to do, and yeah. they would want they would want to win it. Okay, you know? so we're going France for Euros. You're going Brazil for Copa America. Um, yes. I'm actually looking forward to I forget when the Confederations Cup is because it's been a while it's, not, it's a bit next year yeah I think Germany won it's the last next one. year before it's the next year before the World Cup oh yeah yeah I'm really looking forward yeah. to it I remember 2013 where Brazil defeated Spain 3-0 that's one of the best finals I've ever seen that was yep. it was it was just <laughs> and then 2014 happened but yeah the um, next tournament I'm looking forward this summer is the Gold Cup. Yes. The Gold Cup. I'm That's looking forward to it. And uh, when, when is it coming out? So I think it's. I, don't know. Uh, I think it's yeah. July, July, July 2nd. July 2nd to August 1st. Okay. So I'm looking forward to that tournament. But we know who's of new players. Definitely, my it's going to be Mexico, <laughs> Me, Mexico, Mexico, oh. Viva Mexico. So Mexico is going to win it, but I want to see what Canada is going to present in that. They have tournament. a decent team this time. That's so I think it should what be I'm looking twice. forward to. Yeah, the Americans will always be yeah. Americans. They have always had good players, you right? Know, uh, all over, you know. So. I'm looking forward to it. And as well, you know, like Honduras, Costa Rica is also a good team in, in the CONCACAF uh, Federation. So it's not just a walkover tournament for anyone, you know. They just have to, they just have to play through and they're the best wins and, you know. Yeah. We'll, we'll see. I'm, it's a tournament that I'm looking forward to. It's a tournament that I'm looking forward to. Yeah, but anyways, there's there's lots planned. Uh, we're going to keep doing more podcasts. We have, um, I think, before the start of the Euros, we'll probably do one more. Um, yeah, uh, just more in depth on the groups. Like each group, we'll do our predictions for each group, mm-hmm. uh, and then that'll be that'll be great. That'll be good. So that's probably our next one. But uh, we'll we'll catch everyone on the next one. Obviously, sounds fun. 